1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: A warning just before we begin. Some listeners may find some of what we're about to hear distressing. Also, this episode contains some strong language. Last time on Who Killed C.J. Davis...
0: My son was in the top of McDonald's scared for his frigging life. These people will stop at nothing. I'm the person that told the police. Tell your mum, your dad, your grand, all of them to come and find me. Too
2: many children and young men have lost their lives
0: over, frankly, nonsense. I finished listening to the episode and you blew my mind with something that I've always thought, but I didn't actually pinpoint. And that's with the gang matrix.
2: That's Keisha McLeod, CJ's mum. She left me a voice note after the last episode. we just revealed that members of the Becton Boys, a group from the south of Newham who we believe are responsible for murdering CJ, got hold of leaked pages of the gang's matrix with CJ's name on.
0: I was under the impression that that had leaked that information, that it happened in that, but I didn't know that the Becton lot had got hold of that list. I never knew that information. So all these things that were supposed to be keeping my son out of danger was putting him in harm's way. This is just really sad more the time I... the more I get to understand what's happened. So sad. Thanks again. I'm really grateful for what you're doing here.
2: This is episode four of Who Killed C.J. Davis? C.J. was just 14 years old when he was shot dead in broad daylight by a playground in Forest Gate in Newham, East London. It was three years ago, on September 4th, 2017. No one's ever been charged with his murder. It's suspected he was the victim of what's called a rideout, where a gang drives into another's territory hunting for rivals to kill or maim. So far, we've looked at C.J.'s short life, how he fell out of mainstream education and how he was sucked into the world of the gangs of Newham. Today, we look at the murder scene and the wall of silence. Showing different members of the... Here we go.
3: What information about those individuals
2: did have? I'm sitting in the radio studios at the Times building in London Bridge which is nestled just beside the Shard, near the River Thames in central London. Yeah, let's do that later. Yeah, so so it's essentially a, a
3: spreadsheet.
2: The other voice you hear is Poppy, my producer. We're discussing what we know so far about CJ's death. It, it also has certain reference numbers. At the end of the last episode, we revealed that CJ's name was leaked to members of a rival gang called the Becton Boys. It was on a police database for London called the Gang Matrix. It doesn't have addresses. I'm explaining exactly what that is. And how its leak, nine months before his death, may have cost CJ his life.
3: So let's get now into the gang matrix. We alluded to it in the last episode. Can you just explain what it is and how you became aware of it?
2: So the gang matrix is a spreadsheet, a very large spreadsheet, which has thousands of names on. It's for monitoring gang members gang associates and victims of gang related crime. So if you're stabbed in the street at CJ's age, let's say, you're likely to be put on there as a green nominal, which means you're not considered to be an active criminal member of a gang, but you're at risk of gang membership or criminal exploitation, perhaps.
3: So how did you then discover that that highly sensitive spreadsheet was leaked to gang members?
2: We knew the matrix, it's shared with third parties, local authorities who are in charge of social care, youth workers sometimes, and it's supposed to be very closely guarded. Now, there was a leak through Newham Council, and we knew about that. We also knew that CJ's name was on the leaked pages, but a source close to the group in the South told me not only that they were aware that CJ's name was, was on these pages but that they had copies of them now the group in the south that i'm talking about are what the police call the beckton boys the south is the south of newham a borough in east london their leader is known as young Diz, whose real name is isaac donko he's currently in jail it was the beckton boys who got hold of some parts of the gang matrix after it was leaked in january 2017 it meant they had access to a list which included the names of their rival gang, Wood Grange, who operate in the north of Newham.
3: So, to be absolutely clear, the Bechton boys, who's led by Young Diz, were the ones who managed to get hold of this database.
2: I'm certain of that, yeah.
3: Do we think that CJ's name on it put him at
2: risk? A highly active group who, as a pattern of behaviour, go and hunt out rivals to kill or maim, having your name with the rival gang's name beside it must put you at some level of risk. Whether that signifies that CJ could have been deliberately targeted in that, that way, I don't know. But what we now know is that two weeks before CJ was killed, Young Diz the leader of the Becton Boys, was ambushed and set upon, we believe, by members of the Wood Grange gang. They ventured into his territory, Becton, caught him outside the address of two of his closest enforcers. They stabbed him multiple times and shot him. Somehow he survived. It was August the 18th, 2017, two weeks before CJ was killed. If the febrile streets of Newham were bad before, it was now inevitable the attack would trigger a backlash. I can see
4: your face, so that makes me feel better. No, but
2: I'm glad. I'm on a video call with so, a witness. She was nearby when CJ was shot next to a playground in Forest Gate in East London on a sunny day. Despite the fear the gang spread through the community, she's agreed to speak to me on condition of anonymity. It's important to get a better understanding of whether CJ was the intended target, who else was there, and how the events unfolded.
4: This is the first time, John, in a long time, maybe even three years, that I've kind of spoke about it.
2: To protect her identity, we'll call her Emma. How are you?
4: I'm OK. I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit nervous. No. But let's see how it goes, yeah?
2: Okay. She was in a property overlooking the scene at three o'clock that afternoon.
4: I remembered it was kind of a pretty day outside and I'm sure it was just before the schools were all opening.
2: It was September 4th, 2017, the final week or so of the summer holidays, and it was warm.
4: And I remembered kids playing out. I could even hear the kids playing out, the windows are all open. So that was just maybe after three and I just sat down like a few minutes. That's when I heard the gunshots.
2: How many do you think you heard?
4: That, I don't think I'll ever forget. There was two. So now, now I I'm, I remember it. I can actually hear it in my head. That's so weird. And that's so horrible. It was horrible.
2: What was your first reaction to that sound?
4: I immediately was thinking like, who, who's got hurt? And um, yeah, I ran to the window. What did you see from the window? I, 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 oh, I bent down and it was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, you're literally on the floor, kind of your knees are on the floor because you don't want to be seen.
2: Outside the window, other than the victim, what else was, you know, what was that scene in the immediate aftermath? Could you see people?
4: I couldn't see one man. I just got onto the floor because I didn't want to be seen. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to see him. I didn't want him to see me. And
2: What, to the best of your memory, did that? man looked like.
4: I didn't get a good a good look. I can't even really I don't even know how he looked. I know that he he I don't know if he had a mask or if his if his head was in his hoodie, like covered through his nose. Like where he put his head into it. I don't even think it was a mask. I think it was more of his had a hoodie and his or a jacket and his he's kind of trying to put his head into it and it was I can see a gun. Like I can see it. I'm trying to think if it was hanging out, if it was underneath his sleeve or his jacket. I can see that it was a, um, maybe an arm length, maybe my arm length, like as if he was carrying that. But he didn't run like he'd he run for his life. You know, so there, there's, a, there's different types of running, isn't it? It was just so easy, like kind of a little jog back to, to his car.
2: You mentioned he was wearing a hoodie.
4: I think it was dark. You know, his ethnicity, he was black. You can see that he was black. You can see his eyes, you can see his forehead. I couldn't make that out, but that's about it, really, because I didn't want to look at him. For the first few weeks, John, I, I did remember a lot and I could never get him out of my head. I could never get that run or that face or that eyes. It was so hard. It took so many years to kind of get all this out of me, like just to kind of forget about it.
2: Emma might have tried hard to forget the ordeal. But she remembers it well, being crouched by that window, trying to see without being seen, worried for her safety.
4: And by that time, I was already on the farm with the police. So as I was crawling, kind of the stairs, I was trying to dial that line, but I was shaking. I was looking out at the same time to see who's got shot. Because on the same time, as I'm trying to look out for the window, look to see who's being shot or hurt, I'm on the farm with the police. I said to the police, do you know something? I think someone's been hurt. Now, I couldn't make sense. And to be sure, to be sure, so I was telling the emergency services, I'm going to go out. And I was on the phone. I came out. I ran out, John. I literally ran out. You know, all of this happened in minutes. And I'm describing it. It sounds like I had time to think. No, I didn't. It all all this were in seconds and minutes. And I was out. I ran across the road. So I saw him there. I saw a boy. I saw CJ. I saw him flat on his back, and I just went and grabbed him from underneath. I don't know if there were his friends or some lads coming nearby, and I was like, what's his name, what's his name? And someone said CJ. I was trying to get him comfortable.
2: Did he move?
4: Well, I was trying to pull him towards me, so I went behind him. I've had first aid training. I mean, my first aid certificate's probably expired now, but these things kind of never leave you and so he was in my arm I think his head was on my arm or my chest so I'm trying to get him comfortable and obviously I knew that he was bleeding but I didn't know where he was bleeding from and it was blood that was coughing up and this is like all in a, within a minute or two minutes so I was calling out his name I go CJ can you hear me can you hear me I'm, I'm here I'm here sweetheart I'm not going to let you go Okay, and I remembered when I said CJ can you hear me you're going to be okay baby you're going to be okay he he initially kind of responded I go did you understand that can you hear me CJ what I'm saying to you and called out his name and told him that I'm there and I'm not going to let him go he responded to me I'll never forget that so he actually heard me
2: by this point Maybe 15 to 20 minutes after Emma heard the two shots, she said several people were now gathered around CJ. Among them was someone Emma thinks was a trainee nurse. Police and paramedics were also soon on the scene. Then it dawned on her where CJ had been shot.
4: I realised then it was some, maybe some, somewhere in the back of his head or something. I think I saw the side of his head as well. And then the other woman, she took over from me to the CPR and everything.
2: Even when someone else started to help, Emma says she stayed close by.
4: I think it was twenty minutes. I was bent halfway because I didn't want to let him go. I told him. I told him that that I'm not gonna let him go. I told him that I'm not gonna let him go. I told him that his mum's coming soon.
5: For full, important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
2: Last year, there were 650 victims of murder or manslaughter in the UK, but only 33 of them involved a firearm. Meanwhile, Scotland Yard revealed that in the past two decades, there are currently 863 unsolved murder cases across London. However, the force did say that the vast majority of murders are eventually solved. This is in large part due to the fact that police never close a murder case. So often a conviction comes years after. Also, in recent years, due to a shortage of resources and fewer detectives, the rate at which forces are solving these cases is diminishing. I put onto the gang matrix alongside senior active gang members. It's been six months since my producer Poppy and I started work on this podcast. Back in the Times radio studios in central London... We were going over where we've got to so far. Remember, this is a live police investigation. In parallel, this podcast is being made week by week with new developments constantly coming in and we're following new leads from new sources. It it also has certain reference numbers. um... Let's rewind to the
3: five minutes before the death of CJ that we just heard there. Can you go through the kind of what happened, what we know now happened?
2: So the... Range Rover pulls up directly beside the playground. CJ and his friends are hanging around on these three brick-built planters. He's sat in, we think, sitting on on the middle on a wall. Car pulls up. At least one person gets out. We're, We're still not sure. The witness said it was one man and he returned to the driver's seat, but she wouldn't have been able to see the entire time. Then... Two shotgun shells are fired, we think in quick succession, could indicate one double-barreled weapon.
3: Could that mean there were two shooters?
2: It could. We don't have any other witness accounts talking about perpetrators at the moment, which is a problem. The group around CJ quickly disperse, except for Jamal, who is shot in the leg. Jamal Reed was the other boy who was shot that day. We mentioned him back in episode two. He was carrying an injury, so might have struggled to get away as quickly. You would assume, but it's not guaranteed, that CJ was shot first. He would have been closer, we think, to where the car pulled up.
3: What do we know about him now? Where have you got to in that part of your investigation?
2: We've now learnt that Jamal's not just in prison for drugs offences, he's in prison for county lines drug dealing which is what we were concerned that, that CJ was getting involved in. In August 2019, he was found in Chatham in Kent with about 150 wraps of cocaine. He was arrested and he's currently serving a jail sentence. We know Jamal was just 17 when he was shot. I managed to track down uh, an address for his mother, but I haven't managed to reach her there yet. It's very hard to contact people in prison. The only option left is, is to write to him, which, which I will do.
3: He was older than CJ, but what what was their relationship?
2: Keisha, CJ's mum, said that they were increasingly close, that Jamal played football but had an injury to his other leg, the one that wasn't shot, so wasn't at the time playing much, but had promised to get CJ into some kind of team. But it does also appear that Jamal was quite close to a group who were aligned to the Woodgrange gang and that to some extent he was a link to some of the drugs and violence that CJ experienced.
3: We've not been able to speak to Jamal. He's in prison. You've approached his mum. But we have had someone come forward and relay information about how he told what happened quite soon after he'd been shot. What was relayed to us?
2: Someone who says they got an account from him shortly after has spoken to us. This person has no reason, I can see, to lie to us, but said that Jamal didn't see the shooter, was fleeing, struggling with an injury to his other leg, was shot and hid in a car park nearby. Jamal explained that the group that they were with, they weren't that close to, and he said the only other pertinent fact seems to be that CJ was facing the other way, which is consistent with the way he was shot wouldn't probably have had time to see the gunman or gunmen approach and that CJ had no hope of getting out of there because of the way that the car pulled up and the fact that essentially the shooter or shooters came from behind.
3: Now, we obviously can't say for certain yet who the intended target was, but is it a possibility that he was a bit more well-known as a Woodgrange boy and that he might have been the intended target?
2: It seems unlikely, speaking to all the sources that we've managed to reach over the last few months, that either CJ or Jamal would be the intended target. We've been told that there was someone more senior present who would fit the bill as a target and actually late last night received a message from someone who again repeated the exact same rumour.
3: Can you say more about that? Because we've not discussed this at all. So what, what, how did you get it? What does it say?
2: I've been speaking to a couple of sources, North and South. So Woodgrange linked and, and Becton linked. And um, one name comes up again and again. Well, certainly three times now. He is a rapper. He's considered an elder among the Woodgrange group during this period when the agenda was vengeance for a series of attacks on some quite senior members of the Beckton gang. It would fit if this man was the target rather than essentially two children.
3: One version of events could be to say a planned attack, escalating violence, retaliation, and CJ was wrong place, wrong time, but their actual target managed to escape without an injury. Is he still active, do you know?
2: I believe he is is from what I can gather he's been to prison and has been recently released.
3: We'll have to look into that.
2: The other point I would make is that although it seems unlikely that CJ was the intended target we have obviously seen evidence that the Beckton boys would have known who he was not least from the pages of the gang matrix that they got hold of. Also Everything that they've done since, in terms of making music, celebrating his death, mocking his mother, indicates that they're at least proud of having done this. So it doesn't completely rule out that they could have shown up, seen him, and decided to shoot him.
3: Other people who were sitting or standing right beside CJ and they would be able to identify them, why can't we hear from them? Why have they not been able to offer testimony?
2: I've approached at least... Two people now who I believe were there. One of them said to me, I've got to go and speak to the bros, presumably members of Wood Grange, the gang that CJ was kind of on the peripheries of. And I never heard from him again. So I presume the conclusion was don't talk to journalists. And, and, and that goes to this theme of snitching, to this code of silence, this code of fear that we've seen again and again throughout the course of the investigation.
3: When we were doing the shoe leather approach, as we called it, where we were door knocking, we actually did manage to speak to two witnesses on that day.
2: We heard from the other witness that Poppy's referring to in episode two. Yeah, I
1: know. I
4: found
2: him. You found him? Yeah. Oh, gosh.
4: I was coming on the corner, but I heard a bang, and I said to myself... Um,
2: That can't be a car. It didn't sound like a car fire. She, like Emma, was one of the first on the scene after CJ was shot. But we know there was a group of boys with CJ when he died. A group who would know exactly what happened. As I just mentioned, that wall of silence is strong. But we're trying our best to break through. We think there were between six and eight boys and young men present when CJ was shot. I think we've identified four of them now I've been unable obviously to contact Jamal I've spoken to one who refused to speak the young man who may have been the intended target hasn't responded to my requests for comment and there is another that that we have a name for but as yet haven't tracked down witnesses are reluctant to come forward for fear of retribution often from people they've seen firsthand commit acts of extreme violence, even murder. In CJ's case, even the offer of £20,000 has done little, it appears, to encourage anyone to come forward. The UK does have a witness protection scheme. It's overseen by the National Crime Agency, but it's hugely costly to the taxpayer and involves the witness giving up much of their life and their support network. At most, only a few dozen people each year actually ever get the support of the scheme.
4: There was a lot of people there by that time, maybe friends that he was hanging around with there.
2: Back at the playground, and our witness, Emma, is trying to keep CJ alive.
4: I heard that there was another lad shot further down, or he was shot at the same time.
2: Emma's referring to Jamal Reed.
4: But he must have run and collapsed a few yards down the road.
2: You mentioned some of the boys you think might have been with CJ. Do you remember anything about them?
4: Not really. I mean, obviously it was one of them that gave me the name. Someone said, oh, his name's CJ. I know, and that's when I was talking to CJ and that's when he responded. But, you know, you just had the feeling that, you know, they were there or they know him.
2: Unfortunately, Emma can't remember too much about exactly who CJ was with when he was shot. She does say it was a group of probably around seven boys, plenty of witnesses. The whole experience has had a traumatic effect on her. And just as we're finishing up the interview, Emma remembered a detail that made her sit up sharply. But you tell me if there's anything that's sticking out in your head that you feel like you need to say.
4: So when I got to CJ, I went round to pick him up to hold his head. I looked back. When I looked back, John. I'm pretty sure that I saw that car still there, the back of that car.
2: So you would have run past the car and it would have stayed there.
4: And this is what I'm, like, I don't think about it, but now I'm talking about it. And I remember even at that time, and I was so petrified of, not you know, like kind of going back. Because it is quite scary, isn't it? Like, I'm going to see somebody that's just been shot by somebody, and that person may have been still parked there or still yeah. inside that car, because whilst... he could have just come back. He could have just come back, and he yeah. could have done... But I don't like thinking about what could have happened.
2: Did you then hear it move off or, or leave the scene?
4: I didn't hear it, but I remembered looking back again, and it wasn't there. Now I know that I ran out, and that person must have seen me run out. I don't know. I believe that there are people out there who knew like, what happened, why it happened. I believe that no one's speaking. One of the reasons why I'm I'm, I'm talking about this, and I'm, I'm you know I've agreed to do this. It's 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 really painful. It's so traumatizing for me talking about it because it feels like it just happened the other day. I'm reliving it where I've tried my hardest to forget about it.
2: We've been told about a world within a world, almost like a parallel universe where young men and boys are stabbing each other and shooting each other but when that gunshot's fired and people like Emma hear it that sends ripples right out and and, and crosses that line into the world that, that you and I inhabit. It echoes into the lives of these people these witnesses we've spoken to are visibly shaken they carry with them this violence that they've never experienced before that they don't understand that they can't readily process to some extent they cross the line from their normal working life, their normal world, very slightly into this gang world that we've been talking about, the city within a city that they might be completely unaware of and once they've heard the gunshot, seen the knife, seen the blood on their doorstep they can't unsee it everyone down at where cj died remembers that day that afternoon and they talk about it with a sense of deep sadness i
4: have regret as well i just sometimes i feel like i let him down sometimes i feel like um well, how can i save him and i hate feeling that way I thought he was really going to make it. And I know that's so naive of me for thinking like that. Or silly. I wish I could have done more. He <laughs> was only like 13, 14. And he was so, so handsome. He was so beautiful. And he was a waste of life. <laughs> I just hope, I really hope that someone that knows something somewhere can open
0: up
4: and speak out. So his family, his mom can have
2: a little peace inside. CJ was rushed from the playground in Forest Gate by ambulance to the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel, East London, just five miles away. He was put on a life support machine, but the 14-year-old would never regain consciousness The following day, on the 5th of September, his family took the decision to turn off the machine. It was switched off just before 10pm that evening. He died from a single shotgun wound to the head.
3: Another part of making this has been that Keisha is so incredibly strong, continues to give interviews and, and discuss what happened. Do you know how, how she's doing and how she's been receiving the series?
2: She's just messaged me as you asked that question. Keisha is incredibly resilient, I think. Over recent weeks, she has been through a lot, reliving all of those last months of her son's life and the moment of his death in granular detail. She is doing incredibly well, considering...
3: And she hopes that ultimately there'll be justice for CJ.
2: That's her objective in this. That's I think that's everyone's objective.
3: And if you had a message for anyone listening who does have information, what would it be?
2: Keisha, CJ's mother, has repeatedly begged anyone who can offer any information to come forward. If it's the case that that you would never countenance speaking to the police, then speak to us. Next week will mark three years since CJ was killed. Poppy and I have finally secured an interview with the one man closest to the case, the lead investigator. My name's Dave Wellems. I'm a detective chief inspector and I work on the Homicide Command based in East London. It's what I would say a controlled progressive drive. Does that suggest to you anything, You know, can you draw any conclusions from, from that? The driver wasn't panicking maybe not unused to that situation and will seek to reveal the names of the men we believe could be the prime suspects in his murder this podcast is written and hosted by me John Simpson the crime correspondent for the Times this episode is produced by Will Rowe the executive producer is Poppy Damon sound design is by Carla Patella original music was composed by Cam Shuck you can find his work at satellitestudios.co.uk If you have any information on CJ's death, please contact us using the tips email, phone number, WhatsApp and Instagram in the podcast description. You can contact the police. The information is also in the podcast description and they're offering a £20,000 reward. You can find us on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and more. This podcast was brought to you by the Stories of Our Times production team, a daily news podcast hosted by Manveen Rana, and David Aronovich bringing you one remarkable story told in depth each day available wherever you get your podcasts it's also now available on the times radio app along with all the other podcasts from the times to download the app search for times radio on your app store